says, And let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Verse 14, For sin shall not have dominion over you. Sin shall not have dominion over you. I wonder how many people go through their whole life feeling that sin will always have dominion. Some people, it always seems to be knocking at the door. And, and I told you this morning what we were going to be speaking about. We're going to speak on the difference between iniquity and sin. The difference between iniquity and sin. I'm going to wait for everybody to get out before I really get started. Because I want everybody to understand this. The reason I read this in Romans first is because I think Jesus gave us a promise with this passage. That sin should not have dominion over you. No sin should have dominion over us any longer. I'm not saying that we never have hiccups and we never have an issue. We never lose our temper. Maybe we say something. We shouldn't, whatever those, whatever your deal is. But it should not have dominion. Often we think of of a dominion being a great big person dominating and, and lording over you, but it's, it's often little things that have dominion over us that continue to hold us back from anything we ever should be or anybody that we should be. Let me go to my right notes. <clears throat> so I wanted to read that because sin shall not have dominion over you. Now tonight in your Bibles we're going to go into the study part about this. Um, but I'd like you to go to the book of Luke in chapter 9. The difference between iniquity and sin. I'll get to a definition of this in a minute. How many of you have ever quit something? How many of you have ever quit playing a sport? You was on a team and you quit. Anybody? A, a variety of reasons. Uh, something I found out years ago, I was playing football when I was in junior high and I played my sixth grade year and, and uh, played my seventh grade year. And I, you know, I was the beast on the football team. Um, that's not true at all. Uh, I was skinny and puny and I could run fast and that's about it. But I remember playing my seventh grade year and my buddy, he was, he was just filling out a little quicker than me. I was one of those late bloomers and, and he was a quick bloomer and Alvin was bigger, more muscular. He's built like I am today, real muscular and buff and all that and and so in the seventh grade, he was quite the you know, oddity, and, and he was a running back. And, man, he was hard to catch because he was fast, and he was hard to bring down because he was powerful. And um, Alvin and I played ball, and Alvin decided he didn't want to play anymore, and our coach's name was Mr. Johnson. And, and so we went and seen him, and, and Alvin had quit, well, and I went with him moral support. How many of you know when you quit something, you've got to have your buddy go with you? Okay, let me ask you all this. How many of you have ever broke up with your girlfriend or boyfriend, and you had your best friend take him a note? And say, uh, can we just be friends? You know that old song, Why Can't We Be Friends? That's where it came from. It stemmed from the boy-girl relationship in third grade. And so that's how it was. I went with Alvin when he quit playing, but I was still playing. Well, I played a few more, a few more weeks or whatever, and, and I was tired of getting beat up. You know, I, I was the kid that played defensive end on the second screen, second screen or string, whatever you call it. And I was always having to hit this guy. He was about 5'8". I was maybe 5'. I was 5'3". In the, in the, no, it's five six in the sixth grade, so I was like five three. And honey, honey, stand up, stand up. I was like her size, 
in, in the eighth grade. So I wasn't very big. I was as tall as my mom, but that was about it. I was a little dude. And this guy was having to hit every day in practice, was like 5'8". He had, you know, hair under his arms and muscles. And, you know, I was, I was that little kid that, you know, that got beat up on. And so I decided after playing with Alvin, we played, and Alvin quit, and nothing bad happened to him. I said, well, I'll just quit. So I remember saying, Alvin, I went with you, dude. you got to go with me to tell Coach I'm quitting. So I had my helmet through my shoulder pads, jersey over. Y'all have seen my pants tucked in and my face mask coming up through the shoulder pads. I walked around the corner to the down. It was the gym, and we walked into downstairs and went around to the office, and he came out, and he goes, what's up, Hensley? Like a coach, real loving, compassionate. Sonny talked to you. He goes, what about? I said, I want to quit playing. He said, Hayes, get out of here. So Alvin quit and went out the door and upstairs and got away. And needless to say, I didn't quit playing football. But the thing was this. I wanted to. You know, I played football. I wasn't good, but that was my last year. But there's something about quitting. And quitting is something that anybody can do if it's something that's an inconvenience. But there are certain things that gets in people's life that they don't quit. And so tonight, it's always easier to quit trying than to push through things. And it's so important in your life and my life that the sin is one thing. Iniquity is different. Let me go ahead and explain that a little bit. I'm going to be redundant on it in just a little bit. But here's the deal. Sin is something that none of us are going to escape. Sin is something that every one of us are going to have the wrong attitude. We're going to gossip. We're going to say something. We're going to do something. We're going to be deceitful. Whatever it is, something is going to happen at some point in your life, and you're going to come short as sin is going to enter. The difference between sin and iniquity is iniquity is something that you continuously live in. It's a pattern. It's something that's always there. Iniquity is something that lords over you. Sin is something that sometimes raises its head. You mess up. You shortcome. You, had a, you have a fall through. And all of a sudden you come back to repentance. Say, Lord, that was stupid. Forgive me. Get me back on the right track. But iniquity is different. Iniquity is different. Iniquity is something that continues to run. And you justify your action. You justify what's going on. You can say whatever you want. And it be, continues to be a plaguing issue in your life because you allow it. And so I'm going to go to a few passages of Scripture and, um, and go to Luke, if you will, in chapter 9. We're going to be in a lot of passages tonight. <clears throat> Luke chapter 9 and verse 62. Luke chapter 9 and verse 62. Luke is one of those guys who wrote long chapters. You know, he didn't just quit writing. He just wrote partial things. He went into great detail in his writing. But I want to read something here because as I read this, I thought, Lord, I want him to speak to me what this means because often we take this scripture as being harsh and mean, but it really isn't. And when we read this in verse 62, it says, And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Well, good gravy. How many of us have ever got done with this row and you had to turn the plow around? And when you turned the plow around, what did you do? You seen what you just done, right? Now let me ask you, did you try to keep it as crooked as the pre-existing row? Or did you try to straighten your row back up? There's a big difference. So let me give you my, in, my insight on this. I may have gotten crooked. I might have veered off track. I may have got off the way a little bit. But there's nothing wrong with bringing things back into order and getting them straight again. That is the difference with sin. Sin is something that we make a mistake and we get off track. But when it becomes iniquity, it's something that we stay off track. 
It's something that becomes part of our nature. And in the life of a believer, there is no place for iniquity. There is no place for sin, but it's going to happen in this carnal nature. And so when we get off and things get a little crooked, do I quit plowing? No. How many of y'all are, anybody in here big crop farmers? Anybody here get on big tractors and run? All right. Billy, what helps you guys keep your rows straight now? GPS, God's positioning system, right? A global positioning. Back in the day, a good farmer could turn around in the field, put his equipment back in the ground. A boy could just take a point, he set his tractor, and, and it would just keep things fairly straight. But what farmers have found out with the GPS and setting coordinates, every time they turn, it does it all basically for them. You just sit there and manage, and it'll turn the tractor around, and the tractor run perfectly square and perfectly straight lines. Why is that important? Because it's less waste, more ground to put more crop. You may think this is kind of whatever, but here's the deal. Every time we get a little bit crooked, do we quit? Absolutely not. The next place is in Proverbs. Well, we're going to go to Galatians 6. We'll go to Proverbs in a little bit. Go to Galatians 6, if you will. And you may wonder, why am I teaching? I've been teaching a variety of things along these lines lately about practical, uh, uh, pr practical living. And the thing is, a lot of us don't know how to live practically. A lot of us think that when we go to church and we feel good and we raise our hands and that's about as far as it gets, we never sit and begin to dissect our personal life and look at what's really going on. Why do I have this happening? Why did this happen? Why is this raising its head in my life again? And what do I do about it? And in Galatians 6, <clears throat> Galatians 6 and verse 9, let us not be weary in well-doing. Now here's the thing about well-doing. Well-doing means you are attempting. It means you are working. You are striving. Let us not be weary in well-doing because in due time or in due season, you will reap. Often people get so caught up that they, that they quit trying. They, they get their rows crooked and, and they don't look straight. They don't look right. And they get distracted and they get discouraged because things haven't happened the way they felt like it should have. So they quit plowing. Second one, what happens? They get weary because they keep trying. But this one thing keeps raising its head. This constant conflict with maybe somebody, maybe your spouse, maybe it's finances, maybe it's sickness, whatever it is. But it keeps raising its head and you get sick of it. And he said, I'm not going to try anymore. I'm not going to plow any more ground. I wonder how many people have quit when the due season was almost there. Almost there. But you quit. And so you never have victory and you never have dominion over this thing which dominion over you. Sin is sin, but some things continue to progress. And they progress until they become iniquity. Iniquity is a series of sin. Sin is an offense, but iniquity is a continual lifestyle of a constant offense, often justified by our behavior. In the book of Judges, if you will, if you go to Judges chapter 20. Some of you are wondering, well, where in the world did he come up with this? I'm going to tell you where I came up with it. I was listening to Robert Morse one day, and he was talking. I don't remember what the message was about, but he made one statement. This is all I remember about the message. He said, there's a difference between sin and iniquity. I began to think, what's the difference between sin and iniquity? And this is what I'm showing you tonight, the difference. 
This past week, I had a teenager. I started to share the story this morning. Didn't get it out. I got sidetracked. I was kind of like, ooh, this morning for whatever reason, and, and I couldn't stay focused. And anyway, but I had a teenager came up to me, and he was talking about going to a school dance. And I said, man, get out there and dance. Have fun. Some of you went, <gasps> let me tell you. <clears throat> I went to every dance my school had. I had more fun than anybody else at the dance. I didn't do no grinding. I didn't do no belly bumping or whatever stuff happens nowadays. Nothing like that existed. But as far as acting goofy and having fun, nobody. How many of y'all like that little story? Nobody had any more fun than I did. My father never told me he was a pastor. He said, Dwight, if you can go and keep Jesus still in your life, go ahead and have fun. You're young. And oftentimes we become so afraid of what everybody's going to think. And I understand that there's a respect issue there. But I never went and done anything that was questionable. I never drank. I never went out and got in cars with girls during the dance. I stayed and danced. Why would I want to go out there? I was in there dancing, man. I was, that was back in the boogie days, guys. Anyway, so here we are. Okay, I'll never say that again. But anyway, that's kind of what, yeah. Wait till you're 54 is all I can tell you. But the thing about it is, um, I don't remember what my thought was, and probably the Lord's helping me get out of it. So Judges chapter 16. Judges 16, oh boy. Judges 16. Let me tell you what happens with people that begin to live a lifestyle of iniquity. We're going to read one verse. I want you to put it on the screen if you can. Judges chapter 20 and verse 16. Is that what I told you? Judges. Well, guess what, everybody? Let's go back to where my dyslexia, before it set in. Chapter 20, verse 16 says, I'll just read it. Among all these people, there were 700 chosen men left-handed. Don't know what that means necessarily, but they were left-handed. And everyone could sling stones at a hair's breadth and not miss. Now, you may wonder what, what that has to do with this. A person who gets tangled in iniquity is someone who becomes a professional at it. It's someone who has spent a lot of time at it. I told you last Wednesday night or the Wednesday night before when I was in, uh, I guess, I was probably 19 out of college, out of high school, and I played a lot of summer, traveled a lot playing softball, and, and I played third base. where I always played, and, and I would take a softball because we'd have a lot of times during the day the time business was slow. Or on Saturdays, I'd go and work, and, and I would take this softball, and about from here to the wall and maybe closer, I would throw for hours, literally. And I would throw a softball and every kind of contraption away hitting it, making it have different bounces so I could play any kind of bounce that came my way, whether short hop and hop, catch them up here, whatever. I worked on that so that I could be proficient at any kind of ball that came at me. And the same proficiency went into this. These left-handed guys could throw a rock and hit something that was right on target. A person who gets proficient in sin is the same way. When we were at John 3 last night, I was thinking about all these guys how proficient were they in the road trade? How proficient were they in the things they used to do? How well did they operate because they lived a life of full-blown iniquity? I'm going to clarify this before we go going farther. This is not justifying sin. This is not saying it's okay to mess up. A lot of people take things and run. What this is, is the reality is that this, we do not walk in perfection, but we can be honest when we do have a mistake. And when we have a mistake and we lose it and we show somebody they're number one because they ran us off the road, it doesn't matter. Whatever happens and you blow it, that doesn't mean you've fallen out of grace. I had the teenager say, well, if I got out there and danced, I sure wouldn't want to be dancing and Jesus come back. And I looked at him and I said, 
what do you think would happen, you as a Christian, if you were out there dancing and Jesus came? He goes, I'd probably, I'd probably go to hell. And I, here's the deal. I begin to think back when I was at certain ages and things. That if I didn't live with perfection, I always thought I was instantly cast to the side in the eyes of the Lord. So I ask him, if your father walked into the gym tonight and he saw you dancing, would your father say, honey, I'm going to send you to hell, your earthly father, or would he say, I'm giving you grace because you may be doing this and whatever, but I'm taking you. I know who you are. I know where your heart is. I really know the condition of who you are. I won't tell you his answer, but I hope his answer, and I hope everyone our answers would be, man, my father loves me enough to know if I'm out there dancing, I'm doing something stupid. I'm not trying to do it on purpose. And if I did do it on purpose, that's where grace comes in. It isn't something, some of you went, oh my goodness, I gasped. Well, let me ask you, how many of you have ever went to bed at night afraid that you didn't sin that day and you're afraid the Lord's going to come back that night and you're bound to go into hell because of something that happened earlier in the day? I have. And what happens is we begin to live a life with Christ that is built on performance and it's never about relationship. Honey, have I ever made you mad? Have I ever ticked you off and disappointed you and hurt your feelings? Absolutely. Does that mean we're no longer, and I'm not, and believe me, don't, we're not going to once saved, always saved, you can go do whatever you want, but I want you to understand there's a difference in having a mistake than something happened that's continued. How many have ever wondered, wandered about what David, well, let me ask you this, how many of you ever wondered why David was blessed? I remember that I used to think, how could David be a man for God's own heart and he had the issues he had? How could David come through these issues and God still say he's a man from my own heart? God blessed him and prospered him more than any king ever. Uh, maybe not materially, but he did in other ways spiritually. And David had mess-ups. Here's the difference. And this is what the Lord spoke to me. When I heard Robert Morris make that statement, I instantly translated it to David. David didn't stay in iniquity. Friend, we can go confidently before him and ask him to forgive us. We can go before him and we, we may have something that happens. We may be deceitful and we may pay somebody and they give us too much change. We put it in our pocket, go out the door and we keep it. We never take it back. That's sin and it's wrong and you need to repent. But is it something God's going to necessarily send you to hell for? Maybe not. But if that's something you got into a habit of doing, learn how to slide money to people, manipulate, that's iniquity. God cannot bless you when there is a lifestyle of iniquity going on in your life. And I hope this is beginning to make a little sense. And I'm not losing and you're not freaking out on me. Is anybody freaking out on me? I hope not. Here's the thing. God says, I want to bless you. I want to bring direction to you. But if we continue to justify certain things and we live a lifestyle that is full of iniquity, then he cannot do it. If you go to Psalms 32, this is a psalm that David wrote and he's talking about his life. And he began, he kind of breaks it down with, with what sin was. Chapter 32. <clears throat> you may have this one marked in your Bible. Verse 1 says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. He is not deceitful. It is not a continuous thing. David made a mistake. You know what happened? A perfect example of when iniquity sets in is when David got caught gawking at Bathsheba and set a whole process of things, of other decisions to be made, and now he's jeopardizing himself and his future wife, I guess you'd say. She had his, he had his, her husband set up. He was put into battle so he would be killed. And he began to live a constant series of lies and manipulation trying to cover something in his past. 
This is the one season that we see in David's life that iniquity set in. It did. But God still had grace. Verse 3. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. You know when he was silent? When he knew he was wrong and he would not repent. When he knew he was wrong and he wouldn't humble himself and try to restore hit Bathsheba with her husband. And he continued to do things that he knew in his spirit was wrong. And he continued to live in that lifestyle and in that mindset. It said that his bones, in other words, conviction began to reek through him and it was driving him crazy. Verse 4, for day and night my hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. <clears throat> in other words, I have nothing I'm devastated. Everything is, is went wrong because of this iniquity that I continue to deal with. <clears throat> Verse 5. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and my iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions, which are your sins, your shortcomings, unto the Lord, and thou forgavest me of the iniquities of my sin. Now, folks, you may not think this is that important, but this is really important for certain people. Because a lot of us, every time we get a little discouraged, we get into a little bout with depression, we think something's wrong with us again. We must have lost our salvation, really. And that's kind of where we get thinking. God's got a grace. He's a God that wants to wrap you in here and bring you in here. Y'all not near as excited, seeming as I am about this. Because I think it's so important that believers know we can still have a hiccup sometime or something go wrong. And it doesn't mean you're bound for hell. Iniquity, iniquity refers to the character behind the sin, the arrogance, the cold, the indifferentness, the unaffected by the sin that you're operating in. The different thing about the character behind sin is this, the brokenness, the repentfulness, the remorse, the desire to change. Are you with me? There's a difference in believers. Some, they don't see anything wrong with what they're doing, and they justify it all. And when that happens, iniquity is full force, and their life is separation. There is no way they will enter to the kingdom of God. Romans chapter 1 talks about immorality in a variety of ways. But there is a point in a time when iniquity continues to openly live in our life. And God says, I'm done. And he turns you over to a reprobate mind. And then he'll deal with you in a variety of other ways. That's what's so critical about us. We serve a God who wants to draw you in if you'll pay attention. Stop ignoring him. If he's dealing with you about something that's going on, get out of the iniquity. Go to Psalms 35 and go to a place of repentance and recognize it and, and like the character of who you are. The character behind the sin. If you're arrogant, cold, indifferent, unaffected by what you're doing, then friend, you're already lost. There is no right standing between you and God anymore. You've been there so long, you've, you've pushed away from the table. And you're trying to meet your own needs and fix your own self. And you can't be done. And you're miserable and you're unhappy. And then when you go to the next part of that, that I just read, the iniquity behind the character, the iniquity refers to the character behind sin. The brokenness, the repentfulness, the remorse, the desire to change. And let me share with you how critical it is that every one of us find time to get alone. Say, Father, forgive me. Father, even if there's things I may have had a wrong attitude, a wrong way of thinking, forgive me because those all have an effect. And if we do not get honest, you know, God's not looking for perfection, what's that old saying? But he's looking for honesty. And if we can be honest and sensitive to him, it'll change our lives. Almost done. Page two. <clears throat> Romans chapter five. 
Romans chapter 5. I shared this story a minute ago about the young man who thought if he was dancing and Jesus came back that time, he would go to hell. And I understand it because I remember going to bed scared, scared a lot, uh, scared, maybe you say it that way like I just did. But there was things, you, you go to bed at night and you know, Jesus, I'm so sorry that I did what I did. I'm so sorry I went where I went. All these things begin to run through your mind and you're miserable. And I don't, I've heard you heard me talk about this before. I don't ever feel like my parents drove it in my mind so hard as much as I drove it into my own mind that I made myself miserable in life sometimes because I was so afraid that Jesus would come back in a moment when no man thinketh. Ever tell you the story when I was 12 years old? Yes, I know I have. How many of you ever heard of the story when I was 12 years old and we lived in the little house in Orlando? Anybody remember that story? Who has never heard it? Great, it's your lucky night. <coughs> I was in sixth grade, and we just, I've been down to this new school. We lived in a little bitty rock house. Oh, I'm not, dude, it was a little bitty stone house, and, and uh, it was a place called Orlando. It was out by Brush Creek, out on the ridge near the holler. If you have to know what all that means, you'd have to go there. And so there I am living, and, and me and my dad had been down to church or something, so we went home. And uh, this is the pure panic of a 12-year-old that thinks he's going to hell and he missed the rapture. And we went to the house, and I went in the house, and Dad was outside, and we was going to get something. And I came out of the bedroom, and I said, Dad, where you at? And my dad was like me. He was a smart aleck sometime, and he thought he was funny. And my dad got behind the door where it came out of the carport. He went and got up against the cabinets. He stood there, and there was a curtain there. So he stands there, and he watches me go. I said, Dad, where you at? So I'm in the house. I go outside and call for I said, Dad, Dad, where you at? And by this time, the thought's going, okay, the rapture place, you're going to hell. You missed it. You missed it. You missed it. And I go out the back of the carport and went down the stairs and went to the basement. I said, Daddy, in his basement, I'm, I'm done. I'm done. I went downstairs. Dad, where you at? And it was a half-top basement and looked down and he wasn't in there. I said, oh, and by this time, tears were about to quiver. I guarantee you my chin was working. I went back up the steps and went into the carport and went out there and started looking around. I said, Dad, where are you? By this time, I was really quivering, and tears were beginning to flow. And out of the corner of my eye, I seen the door open. And I seen him cracking up, coming out from behind the door. And he was dying, cracking up. Don't you ever do that to me. He goes, you think you were left? I said, absolutely. Absolutely. Some of you came from my era. And you know what I'm talking about when you live in fear about missing, missing the rapture. And what happened was it hindered me. In my walk of the Lord in a lot of ways. And some of us get so caught up with that we think serving Jesus is perfection. And folks, he was perfect and we need to strive for that. But just because sometimes you have a bad day, don't think that you got to give up and go the other direction. Because there's been a lot of people that quit. They dive off the cliff and they just go back. Like I spoke this morning, they retreat to where they came from. Because they feel like it's never going to happen to them. There is a difference in living in that valley or in that gully of iniquity than living in it is something that happens from time to time. And sin can be a variety of things. You know, sin could be something the scripture says, he that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him, it becomes what? Because you didn't listen, you didn't pay attention. Verse 20 says, Moreover the law entered, but the offense that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound and when I mentioned this boy about his own dad 
There is nobody that's going to have mercy on their kids anymore, on our kids more than us, and especially their mother. But there's nobody that's going to have more mercy on Leighton, Tyson, and Atlanta than us. Why? Because they're ours. Satan has no mercy. Satan wants the juggler vein cut. He wants hooks in your jaw on both sides, through your nose, and in both earlobes. You know where piercing came from? It wasn't just a modern thing now. It was back in the day. They would pierce people for control. And Satan wants to pierce you through with sorrows and dominate your life. Because he didn't come to give you abundance. He didn't come to give you direction. He came to make your life miserable. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life more abundantly. And this part here, where sin did abound, did grace much more. Because Jesus paid a price on on the value of who you are. Don't ever underestimate how important you are in the eyes of the Lord. Almost done. Proverbs chapter 6. We're going to be in Proverbs, the last two passages. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 through 19. I had a man in the church read these to me this past week, and, and um, we just talked, and he said, man, what does God hate? And this is what God hates. God hates things that are deliberately done with the wrong motives. God hates things that are deliberately done with the wrong motives. And especially in us who are believers, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that has devised deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift and running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. I want to stop here because I want to elaborate on these for just a minute. These things that the Lord hates is not in the lives of unbelievers because he expects it. What he doesn't expect is you and I as a believer to have any of these things being proficient in our life. So let's look at it for just a minute. A proud look. Let me tell you something about a proud look. A proud look is in any way that we carry ourselves, and you can justify whatever. If you have a reputation for being prideful, unapproachable, too good, whatever it may be, and I don't care what your bank account is, I don't care if you're a Rothschild, I don't care if you're a Saks Fifth Avenue, you're a Dillard's or you're a Belks, or a J.C. Penney. doesn't matter to me what your last name is. When you as a believer begin to carry yourself in any way that portrays yourself with a prideful look, you are detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Because let me tell you, what you're born into doesn't make you valued in the eyes of God. Your decisions and who you are is what makes you valued. Are we clear on that? There is no arrogance here, and I don't care if you're Pentecostal, Church of God, Nazarene, Episcopalian, none of those things matter either. What matters is how we conduct ourselves and how we portray ourselves, period. And there is no reason for us not to carry ourselves correctly, and there's never reason for us to be prideful that people will look at us in that way. And if they do, then we better correct some things that's wrong about us. A lying tongue. It is amazing to me. How many believers live a lifestyle that they're always jesting, simple, manipulated lies, half-truths. They pretend to be one thing and there's something else. They insinuate something with all intents of causing something, but there's no truth to it. It is a lie, flat out a lie. Lying is something that God detests. matter of fact, Revelation chapter 3 says this, that all liars shall have their part. All liars shall have their part in the lake of fire. How many of you like to be lied to? How many of you like to be lied about? None of us. If you're a believer, how dare you? 
function and operate this way. There is no place for it. Let me just stop here, because you may be wondering, why is he going to all this? These are all, these are all iniquities. These are all consistent patterns that certain people have in their life. This is not, oops, I said something I shouldn't have said. Oops, I revealed something. Oops, I said something. This is a lifestyle. This is how it is. And when you live this way, you are detestable in God's eyes. And there is no grace. There is no mercy. What else does he hate? Hands that shed innocent blood. Boy, is that not relevant in the day in which we live? How people so callous on voting for rights of women to be able to have abortions. I know it's your body, and I know it's unfair, and maybe you were raped, and and maybe some things happened, and maybe you were young, and I understand that, and grace covers that. But to continue as a believer to think that is justifiable is absolutely, that's innocent blood, period. We could even go into this scripture and and, and apply it to several places in scripture about people who took the innocent lives of children, and God hated it. Verse 18, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, people that are deceitful, people that are manipulating, feet that be swift to shit, to swift and running to mischief. In other words, getting involved in things they have no business getting involved in. A false witness that speaketh lies. In other words, just like Jesus was accused, this is prophetic about what would happen to him. And the last one is this, sowing discord among the brethren. Friends, if we in the church cannot function, we can't forgive, and we can't move ahead, then we got a real problem with reaching the world, period. That's the way it is. And if there's a pattern in your life and there's always discord, then, friend, you have an iniquity issue in your life. And you may think, well, how do I change it? You come up to an altar, and you say, Father, that's me. And, yeah, it's humbling, and it's embarrassing, and all these things that we may think, but it's always going to be there until we get honest with God. Iniquity, big difference. And the last place we're going to go to, is in the book of Proverbs, chapter 24. There's a lot of things over the years that, growing up, and we've all had stories, and we've all had experiences, and uh, <coughs> there was a variety of things that have, that have affected us all in different ways, and we all kind of have our little nemesis but there was one thing that I always purposed in my heart and it kind of, uh, whatever. I was talking to someone earlier about feeling inadequate. And I talked to my wife about this. There's many, many times in my life, and we've all felt that to some degree, felt inadequate, not good enough, not smart enough, don't, don't look as good, not as pretty, not as handsome, not built as good, don't have the resources, whatever. It's things that bother us. And, um, but there was one thing that I got instilled in my, by my parents to me when I was a kid is that there's nobody any better than you. Now, they may be smarter, they may be better looking, they might can jump higher, can shoot better, run faster, whatever, but they're not any better. And if there's anything that I learned from that is this, I refuse to allow any girl or anybody else ever make me feel like I was privileged for them to be around me. You mean to think, what does that have to do with anything? Well, let's go to this passage. Chapter 24. I refuse to let anything dominate me. Chapter 24, verse 16. For a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. A just man may fall seven times, but he keeps getting up. 
regardless of what anybody said to me, what they've made me feel like. Maybe I'm not as smart, maybe I'm not as good, but there's one thing I know, that I may fall short, but I'm still going to get up and keep pushing. And it's the same with each and every one of us. When the day you quit trying is the day iniquity wins. The day you quit trying is the day iniquity wins. Yes, sin's always going to be there. There's always going to be things there to tempt you, things to bother you. But there's a big difference in just sin and iniquity. And I hope this made sense. And most of all, I hope that it helps some of you with the battles that you have. This is not a first century church. Church has been around for a couple thousand years. And we're ever learning, but ever falling short. And this is something as believers, I don't want us to fall short in. I want you to have victory over the things that have a tendency to dominate you. You're not no stinking iniquity. You're not an iniquity. You just had a rough day yesterday. Yeah, your wife told you not to go gamble that money and you've done it anyway. Yeah, yeah, gambling's wrong. Yeah, it is. Gambling's wrong. Gambling's wrong. Hallelujah, Jesus. We're going to get out of this one now, all right? <laughs> There's a, um, a lot of things that we have rules to go by, but the most important, important one, I was talking to Michael before church, Michael Red Cloud, we were talking back in my office. I said, you know, in the Old Testament, we had all these rules and regulations of what kept us in good standing. But Jesus said, when he came, God said that you will be my people and I will be your father. And I will write the words of this book on your heart. And the difference in just getting by with things by following rules and it being written on your heart, you don't have to have it in writing. You know it already. So this week, you know who you are here tonight. You know what iniquity is now and you know what sin is. David had them, but David was favor, had favor because he repented. He didn't live in it. And neither do you have to.